1: Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone, welcome to Group Text. I'm very excited. We have someone I'm a big fan of, Greg. Fitzsimmons. Welcome, Greg.
2: It's really good to see you again. La- last time I saw you, we had a very nice time together.
1: Yeah. W- and when was that? I have no memory left since COVID.
2: It was, well, we did In Bed with Joan about- That's right. Uh, Jesus, it wasn't long before she passed away. So six it was, years ago. About six years ago. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and you just, it was great because we bonded over our sons are the same age. You're, you have a 19-year-old son? Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And we bonded because at the time they were, well, might I say they were 13 and, and you just looked at me and you went uh, uh, ax body spray. And I was yeah. like, yeah. And so you took me upstairs into your son's room and you showed me the ax body perfume, the ax body spray. The, the shampoo. Shampoo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that stuff was just vile. Where is your yeah. son now? Is he, and he should be in college. Yeah, he's in Chicago, so he... What you know, school? DePaul. A very good school. It's great, he, and, you know, it's all
2: online, but he felt like he wanted to be with his friends, so he's in, a, he's in an apartment with uh, five guys, and they're really responsible. You know, some of these college towns, they're going berserk, and they're having frat parties, and they're passing it around, and he's with a bunch of nerds, I think. They're just being really cool about it.
1: Well, my son, who nice. they've been really good about it. One of their good, they at Cooper School, they test what was he saying? Twenty percent of the population randomly every week. Oh, okay. And his roommate from last year it tested positive, as did, and so now they have to test their whole group of friends. Right. And they're not being irresponsible. It just it happens. Who knows who he had come in contact with? So I actually just. Just got off the phone with my little angel. Where waiting. is he? He is at Ohio Wesleyan. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. Great. So well, I'll
2: make sure to see if he can vote locally there instead he of is, voting in L.A. Is,
1: he is planning on doing that. Good,
2: good. So,
1: but we're, we wanted to talk to you about so many things, one of which is is something's been really on my mind. Let me actually introduce you for a second first. You are, okay. Writer, comic, radio host, game show host, author. Mm -hmm. What am I missing?
2: Alley, I'm an alley fighter. I'm a scrapper. You know, I just. First rule of
1: fight. First rule of fight club.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you're similar. It's like you got to produce, you got to create, you got to make opportunities for yourself because you never know what's going to go and what's not. And you know, the, what's behind all of it is a creativity and an excitement about, you know, entertaining people and keeping yourself turned on. And so, it, you know, it really doesn't matter, like, even writing. I've written for, um, I started out writing for black shows, and then I started writing for lesbian shows. <laughs> and I've, ri- I mean, I've written for everybody. And people go like, well, you know, you need this, this type of writer. He writes for this type of show. And I just don't think that that's the way it is. I think if you can write and you can take in somebody's voice, then you can write for anybody.
1: Which is actually one of, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, we talked about my mom right at the beginning and the, it's just past the sixth anniversary of her death. And people are always asking me, what would my mom be thinking? What would be right. her opinions on everything? Um, what would Jones say? What would Jones say? As we like to say, WWJS. Um, One of the things I think is, you know, we're living in this, in this cancel culture. Yeah. And I think, especially in the world of comedy, there's a lot of potential damage to be done. And you just brought up a thing about that you've written for black shows and lesbian shows and this show and that show. And I talked to Mark Cherry about this. You couldn't do that now. Mm, Absolutely not you would not be accepted as to be in that writing room don't you That's don't right. you think that we're we're losing comedy because of that we're losing these funny voices that everybody can only write and create in their lane
2: yeah even in casting you see that if somebody is not um a oh guy who's the author and she wrote a book about latino life and she oh was,
1: yes and it was like a big uh, scandal because they said how it dare you scandal. you don't know
2: right she didn't know and she spent six years living in mexico and like you know she, she you know it's just it's absurd and i think that you know your mother was jewish and that gave her a little bit of a pass to get into talking about race because you know uh jewish people have had a history in this country of being subjugated and So I think that helps. But for a straight, white, middle-aged, bald guy who wears glasses and has kids, I got to just shut the fuck up right now. And it's like, and there's a part of that that I embrace. And I go, okay, it's time for some other voices. I got that. But at the same time, I'm a guy that's won four Emmy Awards for writing, and I can't get hired in this town. Right. Like Literally, I can't. My agent will just say, like, you're just not going to get hired right now. And that's tough. I got a kid in college. And it's like I got to make a living, and so I'm trying to balance the um, acceptance that this is a time for change and this is the pendulum swinging. But uh, like I said, that's why you create new podcasts. And you know, I think I do think stand up comedy is one of the last bastions of free speech. And you look at there's comedians that have rightly been I hate the word canceled, but who have been called out for rape and different offenses over the last six months in particular. And that's obviously necessary. Um, But you're seeing some comics fight back like Joey Diaz fought back. And the truth is if you've carved out your own audience, which you can do today, if you can get, you know, a hundred thousand people that are willing to come pay money to see you do stand-up and are willing to buy your ads that you're promoting on your podcast, you can make an amazing living and never have to kowtow to what uh, somebody's going to blog about you.
1: Don't you think, though, that, and I feel very strongly about this, this whole culture and this whole second-guessing of everything we say and everything we do, and especially in, in comedy, writing, all these different sort of podcasting, all these different genres that we're all working in. And especially for those of us who, who lean towards comedy, we have to edit everything we say. Everything is a sec, you you, you stop and you give yes. everything. And I feel like, you know, and this is a, a conversation Sabrina and I always have is, I feel like it, it stifles creativity. It takes some, we're all so scared that it takes the teeth out of stuff that we should be able to laugh at because comedy is about healing. Comedy is about reflecting ourselves back in the mirror.
2: Yes, and that hesitation is exactly where the creativity stops. You lose so much. But look at Don Rickles when he was on stage and he was doing crap. Could he hesitate? No. No. He had to immediately say what came into his head and that was the thing that people laughed about because it was the thing that is... Sublimated. It is the thought that is the collective uh, uh, prejudice that we have in this country, and it deflates it by having somebody say it. And there's irony to that, and there's context to that. There's a freedom. Part of it is everything getting televised, because if you do a show in a room, Everybody sat in that room. They had a couple of drinks. They feel the person sitting next to them. They hear the laughs around them. They can see that there's a black guy there. They see that there's a guy in a wheelchair over there. And there is a, it, there is a thumbprint. There is something that doesn't exist anywhere else except for in that comedy room. And so things can be said that, again, have context. But you take that same set and you, write, you transcribe it and put it into, a, into a, an article Online, that's not going to work.
1: Or a video clip with everyone with their phones now.
2: Right, right. And so you're seeing more clubs. They have these bags that you, when you walk in, you put your your phone into the bag and they zip it and lock it. Really. And it, and it doesn't allow you to record. And then on the way out, they have a key and they unlock your bag. And then you. It started with. It started with Chappelle. He didn't want people putting out his material before his special, so he started doing it. And then clubs, God bless the clubs, they all got in line and they all started doing it.
1: See, I never heard about that. Sabrina, had you heard about that? No, I've heard sometimes in going to different
2: concerts, but I totally
0: get it because people now they you know they're quick to flip out that phone and you know they're trying to get the most views, likes, and yeah, as a performer, I wouldn't want that. No. You know, that's sometimes your bread and butter, and you have somebody cut your loaf in half. That's not okay.
2: Right, right. And Louis C.K. came out and did, he was working out New Material, and he was in Long Island in just some Long Island club, and somebody videotaped it, and they put it up. And, I mean, as, you know, the style that Louis does and your mother did was you go right up to that line. And in Mm -hmm. order to find that line, when you're working the material out, you're going to cross it. You're going to go past it. And you're going to go, oh, okay, that didn't work. I got to structure that and rein it in a
1: little bit. Right. I need to pull back in one or two places. Yeah. Right. Well, you know,
0: that was was a thing that Joan would do. She would take all of her jokes down to see what landed. And she would say, okay, can't tell that Kardashian joke. You know, now you just... You, everybody's so hypersensitive. You really walk a very, very um, narrow line, you know, as, you, as a performer.
2: Right. And I think that, you know, to be intimidated by that is giving into it. And there's a lot of comics I know, like Dave Attell, who's a guy that, uh, you know, really crosses the line. But I think the definition of what's crossing the line is, did it get a lap? And right. he's a guy that can take some really edgy stuff and he can make it work. And that right, is he is like,
1: very funny.
2: Right, and it's like what you said. That's the thing that allows catharsis and allows people to let out that tension. And um, I think people like that are going to go, I'm going to keep doing what I do. And comedy clubs will always support that because that is the equation. If I'm laughing, I'm okay with it. And if somebody freaks out and they stand up and they want to yell and scream, that's why you got bouncers, and that's why you've learned how to handle hecklers It's like that's not going to define the content of the show it may right. de- it may define what goes on t v but it's not going fi- to define what's on podcasts and it's not going to define stand up comedy
1: now you you have is it i believe it's a fairly new book dear mrs. Fitzsimmons yeah hilarious the concept is your mother kept every basically letter complaining about you from school.
2: <laughs> You're right, right. See, um, I, I'm, I'm Bronx Irish Catholic, and there was a premium on being uh, anti-authoritarian, to standing up to, it comes, from, it comes from generations of living under the church, shaming right. you, and, and the British occupi- uh, occupying Ireland. And it, it came from this spirit of being a wise-ass, and so when I would get in trouble, instead of, instead of getting, like, a letter would come home from school, my father would sit down at the dinner table, and I'd be nervous. He'd open it up, and it would say something about how I was uh, asking the uh, geometry teacher. She was explaining different positions, and I asked if there was a 69 position. <laughs> and she thought I would get in trouble if she wrote that down and sent it home. No. <laughs> they laughed their asses off and they saved the letter. And so I was in my aunt's basement in the Bronx and I came across a shoebox filled with these letters. And I said, this is a gold mine. This is a book. Yeah. Each chapter has different parts of my life and different letters. And it starts out literally in preschool. Oh dear. A teacher wrote a letter that said, I didn't know what a caboose was. I didn't know my ABCs. And, uh, and it goes all the way up until gigs that I've done recently where my agent has gotten letters. I did a high school prom show in Iowa, and the principal of the school, Dr. Dave Nixon, sent a letter to my agent saying that I had corrupted the values of the town with my stand-up routine.
1: Well, what and did I- they think they were going to get when they hired you? like <laughs> Sabrina, what was the story, the Snoop Dogg story?
0: Right. He, Snoop Dogg went and performed at a college. And of course he brought all the strippers and, you know, he was making it rain. Yeah. And so the administration was like, Oh no, 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 we, we, we can't have this. And they're like, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. You, you contracted with Snoop Dogg. This right. is how Snoop Dogg gets down. Joan would say the same thing. She would always say, don't bring your kids and sit them on the front row at my show. This That's is right. an adult show, get the fuck out
1: of here. That's right. You corrupted That's the entire right.
2: town? I invited them all to my motel room for a keg and some cocaine. That's what I said <laughs> as a joke. And he took it seriously. He really thought I was gonna throw this party. And, uh, and he, said that, uh, he said that he, w- that he w- wanted to check back. And, uh, and my agent said, uh, we need to check back. And I go, you're gonna have to drop me as a client. If I give that check back, there's no way that I was paid to do that. And one of the jokes I did is I was talking about being in college and I said, I was on the, uh, I was on the crew team, the rowing team. And I didn't know anything about the sport except what I'd seen in those ancient Roman slave ship movies. <laughs> so they were a little surprised the first day of practice when I showed up with a huge drum and a whip. <laughs> and, uh, and so this black student stands up and she goes, you're not going to say racist stuff about slavery, you know, and I go, I'm sorry, ma'am, no offense, but I said Roman slaves, they were white slaves and she didn't care. She kept yelling and screaming. She, it was, and I got a standing ovation at the end of it because you know, if you're going to get that heckler, it's, you have to have the skills to, to back up your joke. Like I do edgy jokes, but I can back
1: every one of them up if somebody wants to challenge but you like what you just said though, you know, now with the Twitter mob and with all of that going on, it is hard to stand your ground. Right. You do know, you,
0: do you find yourself flinching when you post things and waiting or you just like, come on, bring it, bring it.
2: Yeah. I don't engage on, on Twitter. I, I mean, I, I put out content. Honestly, I don't read it. It's, it's a one way street for me. Social media. I have a, company that I work with and they take clips from my podcasts and they post them. And then, um, I have a, I have a, um, email address attached to my website and I go through it every day. I answer every piece of mail. I would say 97% of it is positive, And the ones that are negative, I treat them with respect and I reply, but I feel like if someone makes the effort to send me an email, that's a different person than sure. someone that gets on Twitter and just, Spouts, I, I don't read that stuff.
1: You've been very fortunate in that you've worked in and with people who allow that edge to be crossed, that line to be crossed, starting with on being on Howard 101. Yeah. Um, do you think that's giving you the security to be able to say the things you're saying now? Because not only was it, it was so understood and accepted and really, especially like with the Howard stuff, You, in that wheelhouse of where you, you at the time fit. Right. That, I mean, do you find yourself having to, you know, and I keep talking to comedians about this, about sort of create creativity being styled. Are you finding yourself in your other things, like with the book, which is maybe a little bit sweeter, a little, not softer, but you know what I'm saying? Like you're leaning towards that in order to still be able to laugh.
2: Um, well, no, the book was actually pretty raw. I talked about, I I talked about going into the woods in college and I was gonna blow a guy because I'd never had gay sex and I was curious what it was like. And chickening out at four in the morning, drunk in the woods in the Fenway in Boston. And I talk about, you know, doing cocaine on my prom night and all this stuff my kids read. And now when I try to discipline them, they go, dad, the only reason you had a date to the prom is that you promised her you'd get an eight ball. And it's like. All by right. the way,
1: I'm impressed that your children read your book. My child has. I. By the way, and I didn't read my mom's biography uh, really? autobiography. And Cooper has not read any of my books. Really, but he does complain that I got away with so much more than he ever did.
2: Yeah. And
1: you know, and like I say, it's not my fault that I was better at getting away with shit than you. Exactly. Don't a, yeah. don't blame me.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm better at defense. You should be better at offense. Yeah. And uh, no, but I, I, you know, I, I used to do a lot of late night shows. Like I did Letterman like six or seven times. I did Conan six or seven times. And every time I had to do it, you'd go out with this producer who was this 26 year old who used to get coffee for the other producer. And then he's telling me which jokes I can do and offering me word changes on my bits that I've been working on for years. And I would do it and jump through hoops. And then one day I went, what am I doing? I don't need this. Nobody is, you know how many people listen to the Joe? I've been on Joe Rogan over 20 times. Millions of people listen to every episode. You know how many people are watching Jimmy Fallon by the last 15 minutes of the show? Maybe a hundred thousand. Right. And, and I don't have to get pre-screened by Joe Rogan. I'm on for three hours talking about crazy shit, going deep, exploring and, uh, and so I just started to realize more and more, like, let me just find my, my you know, listeners, my fans, and let me give them content that I wanna give out and find the people that respond to it and do it by attraction. Rather than going on these late night shows and trying to give those people what the producers know they want. Let me put out what I think is funny. And then naturally, I may not get, Twenty million people but if I get a hundred thousand people I'm making a great living right
1: and you're being true to yourself right, right. I, it used to make my mother insane when they would say you can say this you can't say that oh used to drive her batshit yeah well, she's always just like please don't tell me what is funny
2: right well that's where you have to make that choice and say I don't understand the people that want to be mega celebrities. I mean, your mother became that by doing what she did and working her ass off. She didn't do it by trying to figure out what people wanted and yeah. then catering herself to that. And I just, I don't understand that mindset. I don't understand that celebrity is a payoff anymore. To me, it's, it feels like uh, the worst way you could, I'm friends with celebrities. They're miserable. They can't go out in public. They've got to stay on social media. They've got eight thousand people working for them. Uh, you know, I'd rather I'd rather just I've I've crawled my way to the middle. I'm staying right there.
1: Well, was, I think it was Robin Williams who used to say one time. Yeah, he he crawled his way to the middle and is playing on fucking his way back down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think he might have crawled his way to the top.
1: But I I remember that. I was like, I'm going to fuck my way all the way back down. Yeah, right. Um, One thing my mother and I discovered on the red carpet, and again, we had been off the red carpet for quite a while, and yet even back then, and I'm talking, oh my goodness, probably the last time we were on the red carpet was about, I don't know, what would you say, Sabrina, 10 years ago? About that? One of the things that we both found... Even 10 years ago, which doesn't feel that long ago anymore, was we weren't allowed to have fun anymore. Yeah. No one's allowed to have fun. Right. The world is awful. We all acknowledge that. The world is on fire. We all acknowledge it. The world is upside down. We all acknowledge that. But even 10 years ago, there was this thing in, 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 in sort of the collectives, I guess, that we're not allowed to have fun. Right. You weren't allowed to have fun on the red carpet. You weren't allowed to joke. You had to be serious. And suddenly it everything was for my craft, for my art, for my cause. Did you start to discover that? Or are you still discovering that that we're just and that's one of the times my mom and I are like, done. This isn't fun anymore.
2: Yeah. Do you think we'll
1: ever be allowed to have fun again where everyone can just loosen?
2: the fuck up oh absolutely absolutely i mean again it's a pendulum it's swinging this way and it's swinging this way for a reason i do believe there were people that were doing it irresponsibly i do think that there's a power structure in hollywood i mean i've sat in a lot of all white male rooms
1: we all have
2: yeah and and it's you know and it's not the way it should be and you look at the numbers and you just can't argue with that there needs to be a fundamental change i get that how the change happens is what I think we're talking about. And I think it has to happen through um, a pipeline. I think what we're not getting is, um, you know, th- it starts with being an intern in, this, yep. in, this, in Hollywood, which means you gotta have parents that can float you while you live in an expensive city like LA and make $400 a week for three years. Now, this By the way, when
1: I-, I was an intern, they didn't have to pay you. Right. Or not get j- paid at all. Right. You just got... And I worked... I was an intern at Entertainment Tonight, and I spent an entire summer logging tapes. Right. And transcribing. Right. So I sat there with my little headphones and had to write down, transcribe every interview.
2: Right. And I think when you look at, you know... Um, You look at African-Americans are not in a position in general to afford that. And Latinos are Mm -hmm. not in a position to afford that. And so there has to be a better way to have an entree in. Because what you're seeing now is they're going, okay, we wanna have all black female directors for all of our projects. And you go, they don't exist. There are a handful that are, and there are a handful that are the best in the business. But there aren't the second and third wave of people that have been brought up through the pipeline, that have been mentored, that have been given experience at the levels that lead up to being a director. And it's the same thing with being showrunners and, and, and head writers, you know, you can't start at the top. There has to be a willingness to, like with CBS has a really good uh, minority program where they bring people in and they're mentored and, and they place them in jobs. And I think there needs to be more of that.
0: Totally.
1: I, I agree with you 300%. And I, and, and I I do too. I mean, but I find that, you know, and you're talking about the pendulum and I, you know, I come from a family and I'm very grateful and I've imparted that upon my son where, and I hope Sabrina backs me up on this, is everything is based on job performance and who you are as a human. And more importantly, are you funny?
2: Right. Right. You know? So uh, no, it is it, it is uh, definitely a time where you're. I think you're going to see it's obviously with the pandemic you're going to see less new programming, but the programming that you're going to see you're, is, I believe, not going to be as good because you're just you can't gut it a, in a moment and restaff every show with with people that are minority hires that are hired because they're pansexual because. And, and, and replace everybody that's been doing it for 15 years. So, you, you just can't do it.
0: It It's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to work. And that was the beauty of Joan um, yeah. from day one. And I've been with the family for over 30 years. Really? She, yes. Wow. She always had me be hands on. So whether it came to editing, lighting, it didn't matter. She was like, you are more of an asset to me. The more you know, so come over here, go in the booth. You know, all of our producers from Fashion Police or anybody would tell you, it's like Sabrina was over our shoulders because right. Joan was like, "Make yourself useful."
1: Right, right, right. Well, and unfortunately, and I, you know, I don't share this with many people. Um, Sabrina has has taken that power, I think, sometimes to a new height, and yells at me all the time. <laughs> Seriously, it's like the day my mother died. Yeah. Sabrina started channeling her. I heard, "Stand up straight, get your hair out of here. Put some lipstick on, girl. Put some lipstick on." Literally, it was as if my mother somehow magically in Sabrina. And then one time though, and I'm just going to share this. So one time Sabrina and I were on the phone with someone in the office and it wasn't going well. And the both of us were going after someone or something. And we turned to each other. I don't know if you remember this And Sabrina, Sabrina and said, oh, my God, we've turned into her. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but, God. Yeah. That's great. Oh, Sabrina now, you sh- she has, producers aren't scared of me. They're nice. scared of her. <laughs>
2: That's great. That's
1: great. Um, before I let you go, two questions. What's making you laugh now? What's TikTok?
2: I'm not really? going to lie to you. I'm a 54-year-old man that spends two hours a day on TikTok. I like to see um, uh, rednecks falling off of pickup <laughs> trucks in mud pits. Always I,
1: good entertainment.
2: I, it's like America's Home Video, but it's darker. It, it, it figures out what you like, what has turned you on. And it, there's a couple people that do man on the street pranks that I think are really fucking smart and good. And, uh, and it, it has found the algorithm of your brain and it feeds it drip by drip. What makes you laugh? What makes you excited? And it's so addictive. It's so,
1: terrifying.
2: Yeah, and my friends are annoyed because I just sit there forwarding videos to people all day. Um, I can't tell you what's going on. You know, stand-up wise, obviously, uh, I'm doing my first gig coming up next week. How are you doing it? Are you, are you zooming or are you at a, nope. a drive in? What are you doing? I'm flying to Cleveland. I'm staying in a hotel. I'm walking across the street to a club that's got very high ceilings. They're going to seat 150 people in a 500 seat room. They're going to wear masks. I'm bringing my own microphone and I'm going to I'm I'm try to remember how to do an hour of comedy after not having done it for seven months. Ooh, have you been practicing? Have you been reciting your act? I've been watching tapes from before I, before I stop. But in terms of what makes me laugh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of good content that's coming up online. Uh, there's, there's some podcasts that are really funny. Um, you know, Theo Vaughn Cracks Me Up, Bobby Lee, their podcasts are really great. Um, and I think it's really like, how do we transition from live comedy to, uh, to streaming content? I've tried, I've tried to do Zoom shows I don't feel like they work very well. Um, I, I don't think stand up translates well to the internet. It does you know? not. Mm, no. it, doesn't. it doesn't. Because you
1: can't hear the reactions. No, right. you can't. Stand up is a conversation. That's right. Greg, I am a fan. I am an even bigger fan now. I cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking about comedy and about life. And, uh, I am so honored to have you a part of my, uh, is comedy dead series wow. or the state that, of, com- I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to call it is comedy dead. Yeah. 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 I'm allowed to say state of comedy.
2: It's under attack, but it's it is. Fight are, back.
1: Yeah. You need, like, everyone needs to stand, you know, with the, with, you know, we got to get climbing up on the ramp, ramp uh, was it the ramparts or the, uh, and start pouring the hot oil. Right. On the, on the, on the barbarians.
2: And just on a personal note, I'm I'm really I was so happy to be asked to do this, and uh, you know the the time it was such an honor and a and a memory that I'll always treasure, having met your mom and gotten into bed with her, and the way you produced it, I was so impressed, and I've talked about it a lot. You're you're a pro, and you're carrying on her her passion for this and uh and we're all glad you're doing that well thank, thank you and, you. and you will,
1: yeah and you'll never look at axe body spray again <laughs> ever the same without um, thinking of me
2: that's right
1: that's right <laughs> thank you so much all right take care